Welcome to the High Income Business Writing Podcast, helping you propel your writing business to a whole new level. And now, here's your host, Ed Gandia. Hey there, thank you for joining me for episode 123 of the High Income Business Writing Podcast. My name is Ed Gandia, and this is the podcast for business writers and copywriters who want to take their writing businesses to the six-figure level or the part-time equivalent. Just a quick reminder that you can find all the details show notes to this episode just by going to b2blauncher.com forward slash episode 123. So see if this sounds familiar. See if you've ever been in this situation with a client. You get a comment like, eh, it's not quite right. The only problem is this is the 12th round of edits. <laughs> or maybe you've heard something to the effect of, all right, we're ready to get started finally, but we need the first draft tomorrow. Um, and hey, can you lower your fee a little? You know, you're a lot higher than what we paid our last writer. If you've ever dealt with prospects and clients like these, you know how frustrating it can be. And I think many of us have. You know, they're not fun. I would even say that they might even make you feel like you should be back at your day job. <laughs> that that's that's how terrible it can be to work with these types of clients. And in this week's episode, we're going to talk about these crappy clients or clients from hell, as my guess calls them. And yeah, we're going to vent a little. We're going to joke around a little bit. We're, we're also going to discuss how you can identify these problem clients before they unleash hell on you. And more specifically, how to handle these difficult situations with grace and professionalism when they do happen, because sometimes they will happen, even though you have and you you will have a more robust screening process and protections in place in order to avoid as many of these as possible. But sometimes some do get through. My guest is Bryce Bladen, and Bryce is an award-winning writer, creative consultant, and strategist. And he is the editor-in-chief of Clients from Hell, a blog that collects anonymously contributed client horror stories from the front lines of the freelancing industry. He is also the host of a podcast of the same name, Clients from Hell, which is hilarious. So without further ado, let's get right to our interview with Bryce Bladen. Bryce, such a pleasure to have you on the show. Ed, such a pleasure to be here. Man, I am really looking forward to talking with you. This is a a very relevant yet sometimes painful and inevitably hilarious topic uh, sometimes because sometimes you can't help but just laugh at, uh, at the way clients uh, act, right? You well, it's that or cry a lot of the time. Um, so we tend towards humor whenever we can. Uh, it's just such a universal experience, man. Even even the best of us has had at least one crappy client experience. Yeah, right. You look around and go, "Is this person like uh, human? Are they living in the same world? Do they speak the same language? What, what's wrong with them?" So we're gonna get into all that, but before. Uh, we, we talk about uh, clients from hell. Why don't you give us a little bit of background? Tell us about yourself, um, uh, what, where you came from, what kind of work you do, and then um, what you're up to these days, what your focus is. 
Absolutely. Uh, so I'm Bryce Bladen. Uh, most people know me for a little website I run called, uh, you guessed it, clientsfromhell.net, um, which collects anonymously contributed stories uh, of uh, woe and tear from the front lines of freelancing. Um, we go for a humorous slant whenever we can. Sometimes there's not a joke to be found, but that's that. <laughs> um, Personally, besides the blog, uh, I've been freelancing for about 10 years, uh, mostly as a writer. Um, but these days I'm hired as a consultant, usually for uh, creative or content strategy. Um, and yeah, I, I also have a podcast. Uh, guess what that's called? Clients from Hell. Um, really, really got a niche here when it yes. comes to dealing with uh, crappy clients. That's awesome. That's awesome. So uh, you're one of us. I mean, essentially, you, you know, you're not someone who compile stories and that's it you've never been here you deal with this stuff all the time you've been you're in our world oh i've i've been in those trenches yes awesome awesome all right so uh i think we can all assume what we're talking about i think many of our listeners are familiar with your with your blog but just so we're all on the same page clients from hell what are the common common criteria when we're talking about clients from hell um you know what are you referring to other than the obvious <laughs> well, uh, you know, one person's devil is another person's uh, minor annoyance sometimes, but uh, a lot of the people we feature on the site uh, are are just comically bad uh, and sometimes just like they live in a different reality. Uh, but for most of us, for most people who are just going about their day-to-day -day freelancing, contracting, consulting, whatever, uh, when you run into a client from hell, uh, you know, they rarely have that, that tail, that horn, uh, horns, hopefully, <laughs> faint scent of brimstone, none of those things. Um, what they do have, uh, and, and these are just general things I found, but I, I have gone through a lot of stories, and I have gotten a lot of feedback about dealing with uh, clients from hell, and there are some uh, very basic uh, foundations <laughs> a lot of these crappy clients seem to have. Um, in my opinion, the four most common ones are ambiguous expectations. Um, like sometimes this is okay at very very early on. Sometimes it's a great opportunity to either educate your client or or point them in the right direction. Like keep in mind, a client is employing you typically because they either lack the time more than likely because they lack the skill set or resources to complete or do something themselves. Um, so, so it's okay that they don't know exactly what they need, but they should have a goal in mind. They should have a reason for doing this and they should have a relatively clear idea what they're after. And if they don't, um, you can expect that project scope to balloon um, and you can expect all your blind attempts to, you know, fulfill their needs to miss the mark. Uh, and for that client to just get upset uh, and kind of on that note, um, and, and this is the one that actually gets me the most, as weird as it sounds. Uh, a client from hell is unappreciative. Um, a, a terrible client might expect behavior or time or discounts for no other reason than they think they just inherently deserve it. Um, th this is one that comes from uh, like a lot of these other things I'm going to be talking about, like these expectations. That's that's something that could potentially be solved. That's something that can come from uh, like a good person can just have unclear expectations, but an unappreciative client like that is that is just a personality flaw. You're you're not fixing that one. Um, and, and if you give these kind of clients what they want, it only reinforces the belief that that you live to work for them, and it just sets a terrible, terrible uh, expectation. Nice little sequitur there. Yes. <laughs> um, 
the third one, um, and again, pretty universally bad trait, but just being disrespectful. Uh, the best relationships to have with a client are where you're working with a client, uh, not for them. Uh, admittedly, that dynamic can be a little tilted one way or the other. Um, but clients who like just do not see you as an equal, um, they won't see their disrespect as a disservice. It, it, it'll just be common practice for them. Um, and, and they'll think you should be privileged to, to even be there and get paid whatever you're getting paid, if you're even getting paid. Um, and the last one, the last one uh, is, yeah, the last one's my biggest pet peeve, actually. You know, I, I'm going down this list, um, and I'm just like, no, this is the worst one. No, this is the worst one. Um, they're all pretty bad. <laughs> but they are. Um, bad. They are. Uh, the last one is a, a, a really bad client will devalue good work. Um, nobody's thrilled to spend money if they don't have to. I 100% appreciate that. Uh, but if a client devalues your work to try to get you to lower your rate or something, like, watch out. Uh, the A good client-freelancer relationship, really any relationship, is a mutually beneficial one. Um, and clients should feel like they're getting value out of their freelancers, and freelancers should feel valued by their clients. I mean, it doesn't need to be a, a kumbaya guitar circle, but you should both feel like you're helping one another, and you should be helping one another in some sh way, shape, or form. And and if, if one half of this business relationship is just putting you down or poking holes in your work for no other reason than to try and poke holes in your work, there, there's a difference between quality control and bullying. <laughs> um, and, and this is definitely more on the side of uh, the latter. You know, one of the things that uh, the freelancers ask me frequently is, man, is it me or are clients just getting worse and worse and worse? Um, what are you seeing out there in terms of, um, you know, is, is it a trend, number one? And number two, uh, with more freelancers entering the marketplace, is that having an impact uh, on these factors? You know what? I, I might say something a little unpopular here, but I honestly think if we do have a trend, and we very possibly do, all my evidence would be anecdotal, but if there's somebody that would hear about there being more clients from hell, it's probably me. Um, I, I think it is both both of the both clients and freelancers are contributing to there being more clients from hell. Now, I don't want to victim blame here, but uh, because freelancers are just they're going to consistently be more and more empowered to go out there and work for themselves. There has never been more software. There have never been more tools. There have never been more ways to work for yourself online. And that is all fantastic. And that is great. But that also means there is an influx of inexperienced workers who don't know what to look for when it comes to a client's from hell. They haven't had that, uh, that negative experience. That is often a learning experience yet. Um, and likewise, on the flip side of this, there are a lot of clients out there who are relatively inexperienced at being clients. Uh, and, and and you throw two inexperienced people together, you, you can have something amazing happen where you both make each other better, and you can have something terrible happen where you both just have the worst experience of your life. Um, as far as a trend, I honestly couldn't comment, but it's my opinion that most client from hell experiences really do emerge from a lack of expectation, uh, sorry, <laughs> a lack of experience um, uh, and uh, the the knowledge of like what to look for. You haven't honed your gut yet for, for what the, the crappy clients really look like, what they act like. Um, and as a result, you're you're kind of flying a little blind out there. 
And those are some really good points. I hadn't really thought about that. And, and you're right. I would add one thing I've noticed is that, um, especially over the past 10 years, I've seen a, a significant difference in the attitude of many clients, not because they're mean people, but because they are expected to do a lot more with less. And 10 years ago, they had a staff of three, and now it's just them. And they're doing the work of two or three people. And just the expectations internally are so warped that they tend, and this has just been my observation, they tend to kind of push that downhill to uh, to their freelancers, many of the bat ones at least. And, and I think it's, you know, it's just kind of a, they shouldn't do that, but it's something I have seen with a lot of them. Oh, absolutely. Expectations on so many levels come into this like there there is you know the one-on-one expectation of when you engage a client and try to figure out uh you know the scope of work what it is you're going to be trying to do but there are also the expectations that come from a lot of these freelance job boards where you know hire a freelancer they'll produce this thing for five dollars um and, and you know like i said it's you've never been more empowered to work for yourself to have these opportunities but the the, the double-edged sword of that is it's kind of a global marketplace so somebody in a country with a much lower cost of living can do that work um and potentially even great work but it's not realistic for somebody somewhere with a much higher cost of living to to meet that same cost expectation um but to a relatively inexperienced or in this case let's say ignorant uh client they just see this guy that i don't know and i don't know the context here can do it for five dollars why are you charging me fifty dollars an hour or or things like that yeah yeah that's that's great points there it's uh definitely the the job boards and uh, more people coming in the barriers to entry are so low now uh, mm-hmm. That there are some people who are getting in the game who probably shouldn't get in the game, um, but uh, so so you mentioned something a, a few minutes ago that I want to kind of touch on, which is the kind of the screening, you know, and I know that a lot of that comes with experience, but how can you identify some of these potential problem clients before they unleash hell on you, right? Because it's still mm-hmm. going to happen. But, I mean, I think we can all do a better job of maybe identifying some indicators early on. Absolutely, absolutely. There are, I'll start from the simplest to getting slightly more complicated with it. The simplest method, um, and this one has not let me down since I've started listening to it, is to listen to your gut. If if you are your first time meeting a client, something seems off and you just can't put your finger on it. I I couldn't tell you why this works, but just experience and instincts will often serve you well. Um, every time I have gone against my gut and been like, let's give this guy a chance. Uh, let's see what she can do. Let's see if this project will actually be great. My gut ended up being right in the end. This person was putting on a happy face and they just were not the person I thought they were. Super unfortunate. Uh, but it is what it is. But let, let's get to more actionable stuff than, you know, trust yourself um <laughs> the the first one is easily the simplest one uh ibm's approach to client qualification it's, i think it's from the 70s if not earlier uh, it's called bant b-a-n-t um it, it's it's dead simple uh budget authority need timeline 
Um, can the client afford your services? Does this person have the authority to actually hire you, to actually work with you, to get you everything you need to complete the job? Um, and this next point is the point that I, I see those inexperienced freelancers uh, maybe missing the mark on. And that is, does the client have a genuine need for your services? This is why expectations need to be clarified. This is why you need to be clear on exactly the work you are doing and why you are doing that work. I've seen freelancers take jobs that they are in no way qualified to do, but they took the job for the paycheck, then they have an upset client, then they blame the client. Um, and I'm not saying that that client was necessarily the best person in the world in these instances, but you know, it's, it's a two-way street a lot of the time. And, and you got to make sure that you are actually doing work that is of value for your client. And, and you do that by qualifying them. Um, and the last point, uh, another obvious one, the timeline. Does this timeline work for you and your client? So the four basic pillars of qualifying a client, budget, authority, need, timeline. Can they afford you? Um, is this the person you should be working with? Can they give you everything you need to get it done? Do they have a genuine need for your services? Can you provide real value? Do they have a problem you can solve? Um, and does the timeline work for you and your client? Uh, but those, those things aside, um, working with the right client for the right reason, it's the first step to a solid relationship, but that doesn't completely insure you against bad people. Um, that requires a combination of questions and gut instincts. Uh, obviously, the latter is difficult to describe, but if someone sets off warning signals, it's probably for a good reason. But uh, for the former, uh, here are some questions uh, that I just have, <laughs> that I've had over my, my career. Um, and, and as you get more experience, do look into what, what questions you're asking clients that, that tend to correlate with the right kind of answers, the, the information you need to know. Because that's just why I have these eight questions on standby. They, they come up almost every single time I, I was working with a client. I have literally hundreds of questions like these, but the most basic ones are uh, like, what inspired you to reach out to a writer? Um, like, what was the catalyst? What was the reason? And this will give you a lot of great insights into why a client is approaching you. Um, to to tailor this in a different direction, at, at Clients from Hell, we have a lot of designers. Um, and it is so, so common for a client to think that the reason they're not getting sales is because there's some sort of design element on their site that isn't singing you know it's it's the font it's the colors it's none of those things if you're reaching out to a designer to get more sales you're going to have a disappointed client who's going to get upset who's not going to want to pay you um, and if you as a designer take on that job knowing that they want to get more sales and you're not going to do any work that will get them more sales well yeah you see why this is one of the first questions i ask yes uh, <laughs> it's a great question. And it, I love that it's open-ended, so you just get the – I mean, it begs a, a longer answer It absolutely a does. sentence or two. Yeah, and, and, and this helps you so much with trying to position yourself with that client too. Understanding the catalyst is the first step to understanding the problem, which is the first step to figuring out if you can actually help this client um, and if you even should. Uh, the next question, two-part question, depending on – how you met this person, but um, why did you reach out to me specifically or conversely? What was your process for choosing a writer to work with? Again, this give you a lot of insight into how your client thinks, how your client operates, what they're looking for in someone, and how they see you as a freelancer and potentially what they see you actually doing. Again, getting clarity on those expectations first and foremost. Uh, client relationship, romantic relationship, any relationship having clear expectations is just at the heart of having a good one. 
Bryce, real quick, let me interrupt you uh, just to get clarification on that last question. Mm-hmm. Uh, the process, it, it sounded like a past tense question. Are you asking for previously what's been your process or what is your process? What process are you using to to make that decision? Is it present tense or past tense? You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm very impressed you're asking this, uh, but I wrote it that way uh, so you could interpret it whichever way was most applicable to you. Um, in this case, I meant... Uh, why, why do you want to work with me? Why do you think we would work well together? Uh, why am I the freelancer you are working with is, is the heart of that question. But if you're working with a client that regularly uh, works with, with freelancers in your niche, in your field, whatever, um, asking after the process for working with those people just as valid, if not more sometimes. Yeah, I love that question. I, I have a similar question. I think I like yours a little better, which is, um, well, it's a two-part question is, have you worked with a you know copywriter before, for instance, or um, uh, I, w- what what's your decision process, your mm-hmm. decision-making process like? What How are you going to go about this decision is usually the way I ask it. Um, and I rarely have someone who doesn't want to share that with me. In fact, that would be kind of a red flag because it's asked so innocently, but it's so revealing their answer, right? It's mm-hmm. just, they just tell you a lot about how they're thinking. Absolutely. And a very, very good set of questions to be asking. Uh, I would ask both to be perfectly frank. Yeah. Um, and sort of on that note, and this is this is the litmus test question uh, a lot of the time. This is the one that'll either make it or break it for whether this is a client from hell or if you are just still going through the quali- client qualification process. And that is, what was your experience with your last writer? Uh, again, not applicable to necessarily every situation, but how the client talks about freelancers they've worked with in the past, why they stopped working with those freelancers, um, and, and you know maybe even digging in if, if they did have a negative relationship, really trying to figure out like what was the issue. Um, and seeing how a client responds to that, are, are they fair-handed? Uh, sorry, are they even-handed? Are, are they sort of fair in their assessment? Do they maybe even take ownership of, of doing something's wrong in that business relationship? You know, not necessarily, uh, you know, owning their mistakes, as it were. Not just putting all the baggage on the person who's not there to defend themselves. Um, and seeing how they talk about that person will reveal to you a lot about who this client is as a person. Um, it'll also give you some insight into, well, uh, what you can do uh, to really upset this client potentially. Um, and and that, again, just clarifies expectations a lot of the time. I love that. Yeah, I love that. But, <laughs> uh, let, let me ask you real quick, if I may interject about, um, may. W- uh, this happens a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. The prospect who wants to talk price right out of the gate happens a lot with direct clients, but agencies are notorious for this or what's your rate you know Mm -hmm. you just sent out a prospecting email and that's the first thing they want to ask you i know that that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be a bad client but what are your thoughts or advice of whether it's an agency or a direct client when that's what they want to talk about very early on I'll be frank. I'm coming from a place of privilege in this regard now. I, I'm booked up for the rest of 2017. So when I get asked <laughs> that question just out of the gate, I tell them, well, my rates very much vary depending on the scope of work, the length of the engagement, you know, all these very important factors. Uh, but if you're just looking for a rate, uh, it without knowing any of that, it would typically be, and I give them twice what I would usually quote for my hourly rate, 
I also clarify that, like, to be clear, it is usually much less than this, but I need a lot of those details before I even think about committing to it. Um, it, it just it clarifies how serious your client is, uh, how willing they are to give you that information. But it's also a great way to turn off clients uh, if if you're not uh, willing to put in the time, as it were, uh, as I'm not. I, I, I don't have time to waste with uh, tire kickers these days. Um, and again, that is very much uh, a place of privilege. However, <laughs> uh, more more ubiquitous advice, as it were, uh, would be to to schedule if you can. Uh, and I think you should be able to, especially if you're serious about potentially working with this person, schedule a meeting. It doesn't need to be a long meeting, but mm -hmm. schedule a meeting where you can have an actual conversation uh, and and do have a figure in mind that is your absolute lowest you can reasonably do. Um, do not share this figure. And then whatever you quote at the end of that meeting, and, and for the record, the purpose of this meeting is uh, you will say it's like, yeah, I, I'd be more than happy to go into my rate, but there are some specifics of this potential project I need to know. Um, let's have a quick chat and I'll share my rate with you then. Great way to qualify them. Great way to get all that information you need about budget, authority, need, timeline. Great opportunity to ask some of these questions. Um, and then at the end, you you should have a good idea of of what a reasonable rate would be. And by the way, that that absolute lowest you will go, um, do not share that, but absolutely know that you cannot go below that. Do not do that ever in any instance if you can help it. Unless unless there is some sort of value you would get out of this project with working with that client, um, just just don't sell yourself short. I think that's great advice. I found that uh, if you can't get a uh, prospect on a conversation, and by the way, I'm assuming with meeting you mean uh, you know either on site or over the phone uh, <laughs> or Skype, but if you can't get them to commit to that, um, there's a good probability that they're not going to be a, a great client. Now, that mm. doesn't hold true every time, right? They might be extremely busy, but I think uh, a reasonable client is going to understand why you're asking for that mm -hmm. and um and they're going to you know be, be positive about it and if they don't have the time right now you know they'll, they'll tell you or they'll try to make something work but i think it takes a little bit of courage to ask that if you haven't done it before but the, i i man i i just want to second what you just said because it's i don't think there's a substitute for that and i i see too many freelancers avoiding it because they're shy or they don't have the the courage or the self-confidence to to ask for that call Absolutely. And and guys, those of you who are shy, who are introverts, I so get it. I, I despise <laughs> having uh, phone meetings. I, I wish I could do everything over email. I mean, I'm a writer. It's how I communicate myself. Um, but again, when we talk about expectations, uh, if somebody just asks you your hourly rate, unless you are very confident in uh, A, working hourly, um, and B, whatever the rate you're going to quote is, don't don't come out of the gate with that because that is just an immediate question where a client will immediately decide yes we'll take this to the next step or absolutely not uh, and and if you're good at what you do uh, you probably deserve to get paid a, a fair bit um, and if what you're doing actually provides value you can more adequately speak to that value uh, and how it influences your rate if you actually have a conversation with the client otherwise you are just shooting back an hourly rate uh, and and conversation, all the power is in the client's hand. You don't have any opportunity to defend yourself, to justify uh, your rate. None of that. You're, you're giving up all your power. Agreed. 
Great. <laughs> All right. So let, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about uh, kind of a next phase in, in a relationship would be uh, if you decide, you both decide to do some work together. I know mm-hmm. you're a proponent of using a contract uh, with clients. So tell us about, um, and I think some of the reasons are very obvious, so we don't need to get too much into that, but I'd like to get your take on why you like to use one, but more importantly, what basic elements you like to include in your contract. Absolutely. Okay. So again, contracts, one of those things that seems really scary, like a lot of extra work, a lot of extra hoops to jump through. It really doesn't need to be. Like I was saying earlier, freelancers, clients, we've never been more empowered to, to freelance, to work for ourselves, to do all these things. There are so many free resources for a good contract. I think the freelancers union used to have like a, uh, a f- like a, a sort of like thing you could fill out to make your contract uh, dead fast. Clients from hell, if you sign up for our newsletter, we will give you four contracts for four different styles of work, absolutely free. Sorry about uh, <laughs> promoing myself. No, that's awesome. That is um, awesome. And I was going to ask you for that anyway. So <laughs> Great. <laughs> um, but there's a very good reason for that, and that is not having a good contract or a contract uh, is at the heart of a lot of bad client experiences. Uh, a good contract it aligns expectations. Uh, it clarifies who's responsible for what and when. It serves as an excellent, uh, what I like to call an early road mapping opportunity. You know, just taking a long view of the project, how you both see it going, uh, what everyone expects to come out of it, uh, what is reasonable to expect, what is not. Like, if if you have the opportunity, work th- walk through this contract with your client. Make sure it works for both of you because the last point, and probably the most important point, is it protects both you and your client. This isn't just something to protect yourself. I, I, I can appreciate why some clients are a little scared by contracts. Uh, and that is just the idea that you are locked into this person. You are making a commitment to this person. So you want to make sure that you're both comfortable with whatever that arrangement is going to be. Um, there is one last resource I'm going to recommend, uh, and that is Bonsai. They, I think they do like a dollar invoicing per invoice, but they also give away free contracts. Uh, HelloBonsai.com. No way sponsored or anything by them, but just an excellent resource for freelancers that I believe is completely free. Um, and, and part of that being, uh, it, it covers all the stuff a good contract should have. Um, it, it's And again, let's be clear. Uh, your contract is your single best defense against unscrupulous clients. Um, it's it's one thing for a client to be like, I'm not sure I'm ready to make that commitment now. It's another thing for a client to say, I will never sign a contract. I don't do contracts. That's that's your way of knowing that this person, they're they're giving themselves an exit strategy in a very very oh how should I put this politely in a way that doesn't reflect well on them. Um, so. <laughs> A quality contract, it should include the terms of your estimate, describe your service or product as exactly as possible, uh, include down payment information, invoicing schedule that should accompany your estimate, uh, clarify if if you are, uh, you know, depending on the scope of work, rush fee terms, taxes, uh, cost of being late uh, on payment, uh, an expiration date for the estimate if it's relevant, um, any any additional resources. I realize most of us are writers, but if fonts or images are part of this uh, larger project cost, uh, ideally they should be included. Uh, next big point is the timeline, spell out deadlines, milestones, communicate how long your turnaround time is expected to be. Uh, again, this is this is a very robust contract I'm prescribing right now, but this is 
uh, this was one of the best moves I ever made in my business was including going through the contract with my client as part of my onboarding process. It's just, it's changed the scope of the project a lot of the time, but in a good way. And everyone just comes out so much happier for it. And, and you get to educate your client more on the value of working with you. Um, and you also get to really clearly underline how it protects both of you. Um, sorry, go ahead, Ed. No, no, I, I think it, it also, I was just going to add that it, uh, it does make you look like more of a professional right it it, mm-hmm. it adds a level of prof- professionalism that you wouldn't have without it if you're just keeping it very informal and i know that's again we're trying to keep things and i get that kind of informal with clients who want to appear as friendly and easy to work with but i i would venture to say that most clients are going to respect that you know you're not without being weird you don't have to be weird about it it's just mm-hmm. hey, this is how i do business Absolutely. Uh, Next point, revisions. How many revisions does your estimate accommodate? Three is my solid number, but completely up to you. Uh, It really does, again, depend on how big of a project this is. You know, there's a big difference between three revisions on a 500-word article versus a 50,000-word book. Um, Fourth point, uh, feedback and approval. Does, Does a client need to sign off on each milestone? Uh, email confirmation, hard copies, who's the main point of contact for this stuff if you're working with an actual company or something. Um, Rights is very important for a lot of writers out there, you know, for your portfolio, uh, for publishing things to your personal blog. Just just clarify if the piece can appear in your portfolio, um, if, if you, the rights to the work can be resold at a later date. Things like that are, are just great to clarify right away. Um, confidentiality. Acknowledge that you and your client uh, will not make any private information public during or even after the working engagement. Um, Guarantees and warranties. If there's an issue with your work, say, I don't know, there's a spelling error in the final brochure, what are your obligations to the client? Uh, How long is the work guaranteed? Uh, How much will the client need to pay if they need any help beyond this period? Uh, Again, as just straight writing is concerned, not typically something that comes up but if you're like me and you kind of have a service that complements your writing let's say you do seo maybe design maybe you you include the images for your whatever this is where guarantees and warranties become much more useful uh the eighth point the client freelancer relationship uh it should clarify that you're a contractor not a regular employee uh, your contract should outline when and where you will complete your client's work, uh, if you need to be on site, if you are going to be working from home. Uh, the ninth one, uh, and this is probably one of my favorite things I've ever added to my contracts, and that's the termination terms. How much are you entitled to if the job is canceled? Uh, if that happens, who owns the right to your work? A uh, lot of questions that need answers here. But uh, it is a great way to make sure a client does not waste your time. Uh, termination terms are just so excellent to protect you if you are, because for larger projects, uh, there is a lot more lead up time. There is a lot more hand holding with clients. There is a lot more figuring things out with clients as you move forward. Uh, and if the client just turns around and decides to cancel it after a month, you have essentially wasted all that time unless there are terms in your contract to protect you. Um, Likewise, there could be terms in this contract to protect your client from you doing this. Um, But, you know, and there are also exceptions, like if, if, you know, a a close family member dies, um, it would be very unreasonable to to think the person could just keep pumping out the work, as it were. 
Uh, and then the final thing, uh, the 10th point, disputes. In the case of a dispute, how will you and your client handle it? Any third party involvement, who is responsible for legal fees? Not sexy stuff. Um, I, I don't have a lot of uh, additional advice to add there. Just that it's never been easier for you to just send your client a contract, have them click it to accept it, uh, and to put in an e-signature. HelloBonsai.com was my suggestion for a lot of you folks. But there are so many services out there, you'll just have to Google them. Um, the, the, the most valid criticism I've heard of contracts uh, at the early stages is I don't want to give my client another hoop to jump through. Uh, I appreciate that one. Uh, back in the day, you would have to have your client print out the contract, sign it, uh, fax it, all these, all these things to do that are just slow down the work, make more work for your client, and give them more reasons and more opportunities to back out of the arrangement. But now... It's as simple as an email um, and just clicking OK. Uh, and, and even though I talked to earlier about walking through the contract with your client, um, that could be something you guys do together. And then you can send that final contract over via email when you are done doing that. Do you actually do that? Do you actually walk them through the first time you engage with them through each of these 10 steps? Absolutely. Last four clients, it has absolutely been a part of my working procedure. And is it the kind of, I'm assuming it's just kind of a real quick overview. Hey, this first section covers this. Uh, the second section explains this and what happens the event of this or that or the other. Um, you're not going through it, you know, with a fine tooth comb, in other words. Oh, no. Um, like I said, I, I find this as more of an opportunity to just clarify, you know, take a, take a step back and look at the project as a whole and who's responsible for what. Um, and just making sure that the client understands what they're responsible for and what you're responsible for. Um, and make sure you're not missing anything in that arrangement. Makes sense. So mm -hmm. moving on in the life cycle, a couple of other questions for you. One is when things do go wrong, which mm -hmm. they will, I mean, it's just inevitable, uh, it's bound to happen sometimes. What are some practical tips for communicating more effectively with your client to make sure it doesn't escalate? Well, I, I've I've had the good fortune of only finding myself in the situation where I'm like, I need to get out of this arrangement sooner than later, one or two times in my career. Uh, however, I, I have worked with people uh, who have needed to do that, uh, and I've kind of tried to coach them through it. Uh, the Again, an annoying answer, but uh, an honest one. This is why qualifying your clients is so important. It is so much easier to get out of it uh, scot-free earlier on than later on. Uh, the more committed you are to the client, uh, the, the stickier the situation is going to be and the more unpleasant it is uh, and the harder it is to get out of it. But my advice is to get clarity to confirm basically everything that still needs to be done. Make sure that scope of work is defined. Um, make sure you know exactly what you're responsible for. And then you have a couple options from this point forward. Uh, my, my way of dealing with it uh, was to set up a regular schedule for delivering the work, for communicating on the work, um, and also basically telling my client that the deadline, I am not working beyond that. Uh, like This is the end of our working arrangement. I, I would give a very polite professional reason for that usually, um, but that is where I go from you know your friend the freelancer to the polite professional. Uh, my communications are regular, but they are clear. They are brief. 
um, they are to the point. And getting to the point is is how I would deal with that. Uh, however, I appreciate that in, for some of you guys, it's you want out of this. You need to get out of this relationship. Um, the simple answer there is to own that fact uh, and to have that conversation with your client and to figure out how to make it work for both of you. Not exactly ideal if you are de- dealing with a true client from hell, but figure out what you're responsible for. Protect yourself. Um, and I, I think the, the best piece of advice I can give because there are so many different situations out there. But when you arrive to the conclusion that, like, I need to dump this client, he is the worst, do not do it while angry. Like, do not write that email when you reach that breaking point. Take some time. Calm down. Figure out everything you're responsible for. Figure out exactly what you've delivered. Collect emails. You know, protect yourself. Do everything you can to make sure you've done everything you could to resolve this amicably. (laughs) <laughs> so, yeah it's it's hard to do that when you know you have satan on the other yeah. end for sure but uh i think it is very sound advice i know i've regretted many more things that i've said or written back uh in in the heat of the moment than those that i took the time to really kind of calm down and, and think through so excellent advice uh, bryce this has been uh, outstanding. Uh, I've really enjoyed this conversation. And, you know, we didn't really get into some of the stories, but I encourage everyone to check out clientsfromhell.net. You are going to laugh. You're going to cry. Uh, it's some great content there. And, and I want to make sure that people know how to connect with you. So any, you know, you give us a great tip with some resources we can get on your site um, any other parting advice or resources you want to encourage the audience to check out? Oh, geez, so many. Let's see. Let's see how I can do this efficiently. Well, check out clientsfromhell.net. You'll get a you'll get a laugh. You'll get a chuckle. You'll get a heavy sigh, most likely. Um, we also do a lot of courses for freelancers. That's school at dot clientsfromhell.net. I have a podcast uh, called Clients from Hell. You can check that out on iTunes or. However you like to get your podcasts. Um, as far as resources, uh, well, my good friend Ed Gandia has a lot of great stuff out there. Um, I, I, was, I was telling Ed before this call, I realized uh, while giving a friend some advice from some notes I had taken from a product I had purchased years ago, and it was Ed's. Um, so if you guys are just people who listen to this podcast uh, and you do want to uh, take a good step, you know, invest in yourself and your business, check out Ed's stuff. Uh, it, it's genuinely good and i'm i'm telling you that not as a guest but as somebody who actually invested in it and actually returned to it years later still found it very much of value can't think of a better testimonial than that ed um and also thank you for producing that <laughs> <laughs> yeah man so that was that was the paid portion of the show i'm going to send you that gift certificate here <laughs> after we uh, stop recording uh, Bryce, thanks for coming on, man. Uh, really enjoyed our conversation, and and I know our listeners did as well. Excellent. I enjoyed it too. Thank you so much, Ed, and thank you to everyone who's listening. The High Income Business Writing Podcast is a production of B2B Business Launcher. Learn more at b2blauncher.com. <laughs>